Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the CASA update for the week of 6-9-2017. My name is Jan Johnson. I'm a board member of CASA, and with me is Alex Clark, the executive director of CASA. Good evening, Alex. How are you this week? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. So what's new and exciting this week, Alex? Um, well, a couple of things are new. Um, just to get right into it, um, we put out an alert today for people living in Yellowstone County, Montana. Okay. Um, your public health department, which goes by the name of Riverstone Health, okay. um, is uh, going to be having a public hearing about rule number seven. And rule number seven adds vaping to the indoor clean air law. Um, the public hearing is on June 21st. That is a Wednesday, um, and that is at 5 p.m. at the Lil Anderson Center. Um, the address and everything is on our alert. Um, so this, and this is everything. This is uh, indoor public spaces and workplaces, which includes vapor shops. Um, <laughs> and uh, there's this added hysteria uh, of uh, prohibiting vaping within 30 feet of public entryways, windows, or ventilation systems, um, which is kind of insane. I yeah. mean, that's just... <laughs> that's, that's new. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is a, a local health department doing this. Um, and so currently, you know, we're urging people to uh, make plans to attend the hearing. Yeah. Um, if you can't attend or if you would otherwise like to send in comments, uh, you, can, you can send that in via email to rule7, the number okay. 7, at riverstonehealth.org. Okay. Um, you can also mail that in. The address is on our alert, which we'll link to in the show notes, I'm sure. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I, we've provided talking points for, uh, these are kind of our standard talking points regarding place bans. The one thing I haven't added to this is, um, I believe there was uh, the California department of public health, um, uh, recently did some studies around, uh, vape shops in California, indoor air quality and vapor shops in California. Right. Um, and I guess came to the conclusion that there was no measurable risk okay. uh, associated, you know, with being in a vape shop full of vapor. So mm -hmm. um, that uh, I, I saw it, somebody had posted about that, but I didn't see a link to the study. So uh, just haven't had a chance really to vet that. Okay. Uh, and include that in our notes. But um, anybody who's doing their due diligence on this issue um, may want to add that. Um, obviously, we have our, our kind of standby indoor clean air quality assessments, uh, Igor Burston, and um, you can always throw in there the right. uh, Royal College of Physicians and Public Health England. Mm -hmm. um, so just a couple notes about that. But again, um, Yellowstone County, Montana, Riverstone Health Rule number 7, Wednesday, June 21st at 5 p.m. Well, at least they're having it sort of at the end of the workday, which, you know, 
people might be able to take a shorter lunch and go and it, it's unusual that they're having it at the end of the work day. That's kind of, it, it's unusual for us to see that. Normally they have met eight, nine o'clock in the morning, so. Yeah, you know, in the in the more kind of uh, freedom, liberty, loving sections of the country, uh, it, it seems to me that government seems tends to be a bit more accessible and flexible to people's work schedules. Yeah, that's um, not always the case. I mean, certainly legislatures need to conduct their business during business hours, but right. um, there seem to have been, um, yeah, some examples of municipalities to some degree accommodating citizens work schedules which is nice to see yeah that's unusual yeah. good stuff <laughs> um which we'll get into that's a, a topic for discussion in california but uh, we'll get to that <laughs> um yeah <laughs> so um the next thing i have is uh this week uh, i believe it was wednesday uh, I went into Manhattan and attended a, I guess you could call it a training session at the Harm Reduction Coalition in oh, New yeah. York City. Um, it was called Whose Lung Is It Anyway? And uh, was talking about tobacco harm reduction. Uh, this was put on by Damon Jacobs, um, who has been doing this kind of work in the HIV AIDS space uh, for, for many years. Um, and uh, has, I guess, within the past year or so, really, you know, started taking a um, very hard look at tobacco harm reduction and in particular how tobacco harm reduction um, can be uh, deployed in the LGBTQ community. Awesome. Um, by way of background, for those of you who don't know, Damon recently wrote an article about um, how, uh, what is it, something like 30, over 30,000 deaths a year uh, occur in the LGBTQ community uh, that are attributed to smoking. Okay. Um, and this is, you know, this is a, a high, it's a disproportionately higher number of deaths um, compared to the, the general population. Um, yeah. And uh, smoking rates among the gay community are disproportionately higher. Sure. Um, so, uh, you know, he, he is looking at this from a perspective of, you know, we've gotten we've gotten deaths from HIV AIDS down to, you know, a, a very low level. Mm -hmm. Certainly not. I, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't venture into saying acceptable level, but I would say that. You know, it's, it's, you know, HIV is no longer a death sentence. That's okay. kind of the, the sentiment that people express. Um, and, uh, but still smoking is, is something that, that sort of plagues the gay community. And, um, and there doesn't seem to be, he, he, he's sort of asking like, where's the, where's the outrage over this? Um, and right. so uh, his work has sort of focused on bringing harm reduction into that community as a way to, to deal with um, suffering and, and early death. Um, so, uh, and, and part of this training session at the Harm Reduction Coalition was, um, you know, tobacco harm reduction really hasn't been brought into this space before. Right. So, uh, you know, part of his goal was to, to demonstrate to the folks running the Harm Reduction Coalition that 
um, that tobacco harm reduction, you know, there is an interest there and, and that this is something that they could focus some resources on. Right. Um, and I, I think it was a good turnout. It was a small room. Right. So, you know, having a dozen or just over a dozen people in this, in this room um, seems to be sort of almost capacity. Um, right. But uh, it, it's a, it was a good presentation. There was an active bunch, you know, lots of good questions and, um, and comments. And, and Damon is a good, um, you know, presenter and, and facilitator for, for this type of activity. So, um, <clears throat> it was, a yeah, it was, a, it was a good, it was, a, it was about three hours okay. and, uh, it, it was a good, uh, it was a good time. Um, and, and the people that showed up ranged from, I think there were a couple of people from the harm reduction coalition. Right. And then, uh, there may have been some other counselor type people mm -hmm. that, that showed up, um, mm -hmm. certainly people with a background in, in some sort of counseling. Um, but there was also a handful of folks just sort of from the community and, um, and uh, these were, you know, a couple of folks were there uh, just to sort of learn about, uh, you know, maybe a different strategy for quitting smoking. Um, so that was, that was kind of interesting. Um, and uh, one of the, the, the takeaways for me mm -hmm. was, uh, you know, sorry, I got to grab a drink of water here. No worries. I understand. Uh, when you're talking for a long period of time, you have to stop and take these breaks. Otherwise, you won't be able to hear the person yeah. speaking. <laughs> I'll, I'll just end up coughing and it'll yeah. be disgusting. Um, so uh, one of the, the main takeaways for me, and this is something I think that we've, you know, working in harm reduction, you, mm -hmm. you kind of, I think, generally grasp this concept. But um, so, you know, one of the pillars of, of harm reduction is meet people where they're at, right? Yeah. We, we acknowledge to some extent that folks are going to take risks. So, you know, let's give them access to safer products right. um, so that the outcome isn't so, you know, potentially disastrous. Right. And in this context, you know, he was presenting this more in terms of when you're approaching somebody about adopting a low risk product the idea is to meet them where they're at. It, it's it's less about, you know, the coercion and the browbeating and the shaming and all of those, you know, the messages that we're accustomed to as, as tobacco users, right. um, but more about finding out, you know, you know, where's the person at in terms of recognizing that they're doing harm to themselves? Mm -hmm. Do they, do they have a motivation to switch to a safer product? Um, and, and, you know, where, where there's sort of a scale, you know, where on the scale are they at and what can we do to engage them and, and encourage them to maybe take the next step. Um, and, and he presented this more in sort of a clinical setting, you know, as a, if, if you're a counselor to a client, okay. but as he was talking about it, I was sitting there and I was, I was replacing the word client with, you know, tobacco control or public health. Right. And, and I started thinking of, you know, this is, this is the strategy that we're, um, it, it's somewhat underdeveloped, mm -hmm. you know, in, in, in our, in our space. But I think a lot, I think a lot of people, you know, some of the high level brains that are working on this issue right. uh, understand this. And it's that, you know, if we're going to convince our opponents, um, 
about you know the need for you know real act you know actual regulation that benefits public health mm -hmm. um, rather than just creeping prohibition. Sure. Um, you know we've we've got to kind of meet them where they're at, and you know we we for years and it, you know it, it just it goes on i think it's sort of a human nature kind of thing we've sort of been stuck on this you know uh, oh we need to fight back aggressively against this you know misinformation we need to call people out and tell them that they're wrong and and um you know throw a bunch of science at them and tell them that this is the best thing and you know you're killing people and stuff like that um that's to, to some extent, it's always going to be true, but people don't tend to react very well to that. When you confront somebody, um, mm -hmm. they tend to take sort of a, a defensive posture and uh, will um, be even, you know, they, they fall back on the, on the, the same, their deeply held beliefs and, right. and are less likely to be uh, persuaded. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it would for that. That for me was 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 probably a. It, it sort of reinforced that the need to to you know craft or adapt our messaging to um, you know meet people where they're at. Sorry to keep repeating mm -hmm. that, but uh, no, no, no. It 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 does kind of make sense. It, it, it's hard to address that. Um, when you're talking about beliefs versus facts, though, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I think the facts are always easier to address, but it, it's, uh, I it's, guess what you're, I guess what you're saying is that these people genuinely believe what they're doing is helping. They don't like to see themselves in the role of hurting anybody. Right. Yeah. And I mean, to, it, it's very strange because, and this is something that, you know, we've talked about a lot and which is, you know, a lot of the folks that are very resistant to the, t the idea of tobacco harm reduction are, are totally comfortable with things like clean needle exchanges and, uh, yeah. you know, making Narcan accessible, not just to first responders, but to family members or close friends of, of, of uh, uh, opioid addicts. Um, and so, you know, both of those actually very controversial forms of harm reduction, but very valuable forms of harm reduction. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's so many things that go into building one's suspicion of a tobacco company involvement in any kind of low risk product. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's. You know, the other problem that we're facing is is really just even getting our foot in the door to have that constructive conversation with public health people, right. um, which as I'm talking about this, I was reminded that it, um, there was a, a woman from, uh, was it the American Academy of Pediatrics, American Academy of Pediatricians? She's okay. the new, I think she's a new president or new executive director. Mm -hmm. And um, there were a couple of people that sort of uh, reached out to her on Twitter after seeing, I guess, sort of a long string of, it was a string of, of sort of anti-vaping tweets that she put out or in generally a lot of misinformation, but it yeah. kind of ended in this exchange of, you know, I, I think uh, somebody had said, you know, um, 
it would be great if there was uh, sort of a, um, uh, advice or guidance that uh, businesses could give to parents, you know, in how to keep these products away from their children. Right. And she said, Oh yeah, that would be a great idea. And, you know, it sort of ended with, I'm happy to talk about this, you know, as long as there isn't name calling and, and, you know, as long as it's a constructive conversation and several of us chimed in, I shared my email address and said, I'm always up for a constructive conversation. Right. So, um, but it is, it's, it's, you know, that first reaction, you know, between, opponents and proponents of, of harm reduction are it's, it's usually very emotional. And, and so it's, uh, um, there's, there's a need to kind of learn how to break down that emotional barrier and just, you know, let's talk some practical realities here. Right. Um, it's harder than it sounds. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's nothing black and white about it. It's, uh, it's, it's very nuanced and, and, and yeah, I mean, when you're dealing with people's emotions, um, it, it is kind of, it's difficult to predict where people will, will go with their feelings. Yeah. Um, exactly. Which, you know, and I've been in, in settings where, you know, you're not actually dealing with very heavy subjects, but you sit down and you, you start a meeting by sharing how you're feeling today. And that actually opens people up quite a bit to just, you know, being respectful of each other. And, and let's just talk about the ideas here. Um, yeah. It's, it's very, it, that's a very, um, Buddhist philosophy, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, we all live on the same planet. And while you might not relate in one way or another, we're all human and we all suffer, right? Mm -hmm. That's like one of the first principles for being able to relate to other human beings. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I think we lose, we on both sides lose track of that in, in all of this, um, the, the feeling of the need to protect other people or children, or we just lose fact of sight of the fact that we're all human beings. Yeah. You know, it's uh, I, a lot of this, I think ends up being rooted in this. It's, it's this evolutionary remnant of a desire to win or get to the prize first. Um, and you know, it is, it's really hard to break down that wall when, you know, I, speaking from myself, having been on the receiving end of messages that paint me as a monster um, for so many years as a smoker, uh -huh. um, it, it's, it's, it's very difficult to, it, sometimes it's, it's difficult to take these people seriously. Right. Um, and, and I can see that, you know, they're, they're in the, in the beginning, in the early days, and it still continues today. There is this kind of underlying desire to take that power back a little bit. And mm -hmm. so we fire back with our own version of that message and say things, and I'm, you know, I'm guilty of it saying things like, you know, your organization has blood on their hands because you're making it less, um, making these products less accessible. Yeah. Um, and, and that, uh, you know, I mean, the irony of course, is that those folks will turn around and say, you know, you're, you're calling us nasty things and we're not going to deal with you mm -hmm. when, you know, we've well, essentially, you know, verifiably been the victims of that same messaging for sure. decades. I mean, all of this <laughs> is actually born out of an actual desire to protect your community. Yeah. That's what, that's what all of this is. And, and people don't realize we're at the core, extremely tribal. It, it makes it hard to break through all that messaging. Yeah. So, <sighs> so that, that was just my two cents. Sorry. <laughs> no. To go up there. Valuable two cents. Thank and, you. Uh, yeah. 
Um, so um, anyway, that was a great event, and I hope that uh, Damon or others are able to, uh, you know, put things on uh, like that, not just in New York, but uh, I think the Harm Reduction Coalition is active around the country, um, and, um, you know, would be a good relationship for CASA to have, too. So uh, I was happy to go, and it was a free event right. um, and very valuable. So, um, yeah. Um, going to the complete opposite side of the country, not necessarily politically, but geographically, uh, California and the, the flavor bands that are creeping around the Bay area. Um, and, and I, I learned, I learned a new, not a new term, but, um, the, I, we should refer to these as a swarm of anti-vaping ordinances, um, which is actually kind of a strategy being employed by our friends at Tobacco Control. Um, swarm. <laughs> a swarm. Um, and of course, you know, for people who are opposed to such policy measures, uh, it makes it confusing and somewhat frustrating to keep on top of um, all of the different hearings and the different versions of this ordinance. Oh, yeah. uh, there are some similarities. They're all happening within about a month or two of each other. Mm -hmm. Things have been rescheduled and so on, yeah. uh, but uh, they were all generally introduced at relatively the same time. Um, and and they are in different places around the Bay Area, which um, you know makes it difficult for you know the real diehards. So you know, Stefan Didac uh, has been very good at keeping on top of this, and right. um, I've been. Uh, able to get you know information from him and not blowing smoke about uh, you know when and where and and what exactly these ordinances are, okay. um, and um, so just I just kind of wanted to give a hat tip to to Stefan and, and and not blowing smoke for being on top of this, sure. um, uh, in as much as they can be. Um, okay. you know, we're we're not Goliaths here, so um, there's certainly a need to engage with other. Uh, entities in this, uh, I believe it was this week. Um, we CASA, uh, uh, Jennifer Berger Coleman and myself co-signed an open letter to the city of San Francisco regarding their flavor ban. And, um, you know, the fact that, you know, San Francisco again is, was one of those communities that has embraced harm reduction in dealing with IV drug users and, and, you know, that, that, and, um, I, I'm not exactly sure of the status of clean needle exchanges in, in San Francisco, but right. at least entertaining that seriously, looking yeah. at that as a, as a, you know, uh, as a way of, of reducing, um, the harms of, of opioid abuse. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yet, uh, looking at tobacco harm reduction as just not viable, um, in fact, you know, demonizing the idea. Um, and, uh, so, you know, that was our letter, some other people, Brian Foydick and Damon Jacobs co-authored, uh, an article, uh, that was in the Huffington post. I read there's a third one out there that I linked to, I, I sent all of these out to, to folks in, in the Bay area, sure. um, yesterday. Um, so, you know, there's, there are some articles getting published and, and that's, that's a good thing. Um, 
and uh, you know, as always, if you're if you're in the area, letters to the editor are are helpful. Oh, yeah. um, so, the next thing to happen uh, is San Francisco, and I'm just yeah. getting this out of the way so that people are aware. Um, on the 14th, that will be next Wednesday, and I believe this is at like 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, just going to check our alert. We do have an engagement on this, by the way, for those that are unaware. Um, so yeah, Wednesday, June 14th at 10.30 a.m. Okay. in the Public Safety and Neighborhood Services Committee. Um, they will be ha uh, taking public comment on um, on the ordinance that is uh, an all-out ban on flavored tobacco products, which according to uh, a tobacco products definition in San Francisco, San Francisco's municipal code includes vapor products. Um, so this is everything that's not tobacco flavored would be prohibited for sale within the city of San Francisco, um, which means that like the, I think I, I, I actually quoted five vapor shops. I think there's eight or nine. Okay. Um, so that's basically the that's the death of vapor shops in in san francisco um wow. and I, I i mean i know that there are probably a variety of tobacco flavored e-liquid um and certainly there are devices but um tobacco flavored e-liquid is not the best seller so yeah. um that that would i i would be surprised to see uh, an independent vapor retail shop survive this um yeah. Uh, unless they are sort of a combination, you know, hookah or especially tobacco shop. Um, okay. So, um, yeah, and this is in San, the San Francisco ordinance, I believe, is is the most extreme out of all of the others. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> um, maybe with the exception of Contra Costa County, <clears throat> which is <laughs> sort of, I guess, in the process of being rescheduled. Yeah. Um, and, and I did kind of want to get into the rescheduling of, of these things. So sure. um, it was Los, sorry, look, Los Gatos passed theirs. Um, and that was, this is not the worst, but still not great. That, that allows for, you know, especially vapor shop to continue selling, um, right. but takes flavored products out of C stores and gas stations and grocery stores and so on. Yes. Um, <clears throat> The um, <clears throat> the other one that happened uh, earlier this week was San Leandro County, and there were this happened at night, and um, it's important to point out that right now, until I believe June twenty fourth is Ramadan, so if you're Muslim. And you're a small business owner and obviously a stakeholder in these proposed ordinances for you to get to a city council hearing after sundown is going to be difficult or impossible. Um, I, I'm not a Muslim, so I am happy to be corrected on what happens during Ramadan, but I understand that there's some fasting um, and there's, you there's know, fasting and prayer and yeah, I mean, and everybody Breaks, yeah, I have, I have a friend who's Muslim. Everybody breaks the fast, but it's like at sundown. So you go all day without food or water. Oh, okay. 
So yeah, no, it, it's a very, um, <clears throat> it's one of those times where it would, you would be very dizzy. <laughs> um, you would be very dehydrated. You, you really don't want to be out driving under those circumstances if you can like help it, you know? So I kind of had it backwards. I, I thought that the fasting occurred at night, but um, okay, so it's during the day, which- It's all day, yeah. yeah. So yeah, by the time you get to right around sundown, uh, you're probably looking forward to a, a meal um, yeah. and, and you know whatever else is involved in, in this. Um, I, I hate to call it, it doesn't seem much like a holiday to me, but uh, this religious observance. Right. Um, and you know, it's, it, this, this came out during uh, the hearing in New York. Um, a lot of these you know, convenience store and gas station owners mm-hmm are they're middle eastern Mm -hmm. and they are muslim and for them i I would say i I don't have a statistic in front of me to support this but i would say a disproportionately large number of these c-store and and gas station owners are Mm -hmm. are muslim and one of the points that was raised in um i think both in new york city and in perhaps san leandro Right. was that you know this is the job that's available to these guys they come right. here looking for better opportunities for them and their family and they've encountered things like racism mm-hmm. they're discriminated against sure. um, maybe their education background isn't what an american employer is looking for right. uh, so you know they get here they want to be contributing members of of our community and so these are the jobs that that they can do and they, and you know they want the american dream just like everybody else and independent small business owner is something that is most accessible for them um and and running a small grocery store or a gas station is is something that they can choose so um they are you know disproportionately affected by ordinances like this right um and so to some from the business side of things, they're sort of the primary stakeholder. And all of these ordinances were scheduled to happen. <laughs> all of these hearings were scheduled to happen during Ramadan, which <laughs> is, you know, probably one of the most tone deaf things. Like if there is, if we need another example of how these anti-tobacco activists are tone deaf, they they either did this on purpose or they just aren't paying attention to who owns these businesses, and um, it, it's 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 something that hasn't been talked about a whole lot. I I haven't read the you know anything coming from like the convenience store association or any you know C store trade uh, publications, but um, it was it was an issue that was um, it, it it was it was beat. It was it was brought up pretty heavily in the New York City Council hearing, mm-hmm. um, and uh, there was a lot of bobbing and weaving and answering that question as to why um, the city wasn't getting more aggressive with with hookah lounges. Um, it was it was very interesting, um, but uh, yeah. So um, because of Ramadan, some of these have had to be either rescheduled completely, uh, like in the case of oakland i believe and um or 
they will be brought back for a second hearing, uh, right. like in the case of San Leandro. So the the motion that carried in San Leandro was to send the ordinance back to the rules committee and mm -hmm. bring it back in September. Okay. Um, it now I looked at the agenda today or the bill page today, and there's some meeting scheduled for the 26th. I don't know if that's in the rules committee or whatnot, but, um, you know, no, no, this isn't going to get approved on the 26th. Mm -hmm. Uh, there may be, a, I believe there's a second hearing possibly on the 26th to accommodate all of the Muslim small business owners who are unable to attend this hearing. Right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that, that continues in San Leandro. Um, San Francisco, on the other hand, it's in the middle of the day and this is, you know, a committee hearing. Um, so I'd be curious to see, um, you know, who, who was able to attend that from the C store owners community. Right. Um, and, um, certainly, uh, there will be, uh, plenty of people from the vaping and harm reduction side of things. Um, I know that Jennifer is going to be able to make that and we're going to be working on her testimony this weekend. Okay. Um, so Kassa will have a presence because we, you know, have a, we have finally have a board member in California, which is great. <laughs> um, so yeah. Um, well, she'll be busy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She'll be busy. Um, the other thing in I, I was getting around to Palo Alto. Um, the Palo Alto ordinance, the last note that I have here is that the city attorney is still discussing with the county regarding, basically what Palo Alto is doing is uh, adopting Santa Clara County's um, tobacco control ordinances. Okay. Um, and a lot of this has to do with, basically all of these things are tobacco retailer licenses. Um, okay. People may not know this, but um, you know, states generally have some sort of tobacco retailer licensing scheme, right. um, but municipalities, not all municipalities have a tobacco retailer license ordinance. Right. So um, some of these are going to be brand new for, for probably the smaller municipalities or counties. Um, mm -hmm. Others are just sort of, uh, you know, amending their existing tobacco retailer license regulation to deal with flavors. Okay. And a huge push for this is coming from this movement to ban menthol right. um and uh unfortunately you know I, I, it's not an accident that other flavors are uh becoming a casualty of this but uh you know the push the main push what you, the, the talking point that people will deliver is is largely based around menthol right. um and so yeah <sighs> it's very frustrating and I'm sorry that I, I, I may not have given them a, you know, a very linear point by point breakdown of what's going on in California, but um, it's, it's not, it's not a linear point by point kind of situation. <laughs> it really um, isn't. And it is, and it is obviously fluid because of the, the need to reschedule hearings to accommodate, you know, the larger business community. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, anyway, that is ongoing. And the next stop will be San Francisco and, um, very, yeah. 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 Um, 
so the last thing I have on my list, and I'm sure we'll get in, we get into some other things. I know we're going, probably going kind of long here. Um, but the article that you shared with me last night about Allegheny County in New York. Yeah. Um, so Allegheny County, New York tabled a tobacco 21 ordinance. Um, and I don't know if this is the first county to do it in New York, but this has been going around um, since last year, maybe okay. even earlier. Um, <clears throat> currently in New York state, there are, um, I guess you could kind of say eight counties. Um, if you, it, the, uh, God, I had this up on my list here. So actually New York city, <clears throat> there's a few counties that are part of the, the five boroughs, um, right. You have uh, Richmond, Kings, uh, Nassau, and oh wait, no, Nassau's between Queens County and Suffolk, so Nassau doesn't have this. Uh, in the Bronx, um, mm-hmm. those sort of show up as counties. I'm sorry, I'm bad with my Brooklyn ge- or my New York <laughs> geography, but um, you know, in that kind of Manhattan, Staten Island, Long Island region. Pretty much everybody but Nassau has adopted a Tobacco 21 law. Um, Suffolk County is is kind of the the remaining bits of Long Island, um, and so yeah, it's it's sort of eight counties slash New York City um, right. that have adopted uh, Tobacco 21 laws, mm-hmm. um, and so um, Allegheny County said no. And the arguments against this were actually kind of interesting. Um, I'm a nerd, so I find that interesting. Uh, but uh, I think there was one one lawmaker was arguing, you know, they would support it if there was an exemption for active active duty military, um, right. and which seems odd because I mean even the military I think is looking at Tobacco Twenty One, oh, yeah. um, and uh, another argument was that you know. <clears throat> this should be something that the state decides, not something done at the county level. Sure. Of course, the rebuttal to that is something that, you know, we're seeing, like what we're seeing in California is that these types of policy movements happen at the municipal and county level first. And then once there is enough support at that level throughout a state, then the proponents of these policies will take it to a state level bill. Right. Um, you know, there's, there is a tobacco 21 bill in the New York state legislature. It's just, right. it's not going to go anywhere because, um, or it shouldn't go anywhere uh, right. because there's a lot of support throughout the state. Um, so um, yeah, that's, it's an interesting development in New York state yeah. um, with a County refusing to pass this, not really refusing, just it didn't work out. Yeah, it was just unusual. I'd never really seen that before, especially in New York. Yeah. You know, that's, I thought it was just noteworthy because <clears throat> it's not something you see every day there. Yeah. So, yeah, the list of, of this, this article actually lists all of the, the counties, and I'm going to try my best to pronounce some of these. Okay. Um, uh, so, you have Cattaraugus County, uh, right. New York City, Suffolk mm-hmm. County. Albany County, right. Schenectady County, mm-hmm. Chautauqua County, Cortland County, and Tompkins County. Um, is that that's I, I got nine, whatever doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
so uh yeah and then uh, while while i'm looking at this you know i decided to go back to our little map here of tobacco 21 bills in mm -hmm. states and uh throughout the states 16 tobacco 21 bills in 12 states have failed right um, there are still 24 bills pending and i think five of them are in texas um oh yeah we got five in texas five in massachusetts three in new york two in new jersey um north carolina illinois iowa nebraska yeah. oregon and washington wow. um so all of those states are are there is pending legislation regarding tobacco 21. Um, the new jersey bills have actually advanced um predictably um they are one of them is in the assembly uh, it, it's expected to pass the legislature uh, mm -hmm. and we'll be uh, waiting to see if Governor Christie vetoes it again this year. <laughs> um, he is not a fan of Tobacco 21. Yeah. Um, so well, it cuts into his tax revenue. Yep. And New Jersey needs that cigarette tax. Um, but of course, his argument is that, uh, you know, counties and municipalities should pass it first, which is that argument is not going to hold up very much longer because uh, I think we have 11 counties in New Jersey that have passed Tobacco 21. Yeah. So um, I believe that's what I've got for this week. Okay. <sighs> <laughs> Okay. Well, thank you, Alex, for coming on and telling us what's going on and keeping us ahead of, um, at least um, trying to help us keep our head above the uh, rising tide of regulation. <laughs> help us swim around. Um, I, I didn't want to use the swarm analogy, although it is correct. Um, so I guess we'll see you next week. Yeah. Okay. I'll be around. All right. Thank you for everything you do for us. And, um, and thank you. Thanks. Um, you can get Kasa's updates by going to kasa.org. Uh, you can also get Kasa's updates at SoundCloud by searching Kasa Media. Uh, you can also get Kasa updates by going to the Apple iTunes uh, store. Well, the Apple Podcast store now and searching Kasa Media, and you can import our feed into your favorite podcast manager, and it will always let you know when the update is out, so you'll always know what we are doing. Thank you. <laughs>